And our scripture reading comes from this chapter today. Our first scripture reading. This is um, a story out of the life of the great prophet Elijah, who has just had an encounter, a victorious, powerful encounter, with 450 prophets of Baal, this false religion. And he has taken them on, and through the power of God and through prayer, he has been victorious. And uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, who are the leaders of Israel, have heard what has happened, and they are furious at Elijah. So, that's where we pick up this reading. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid. And ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. 
Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. And now a verse from the Gospel of John, a second reading, just one verse from John chapter 15, verse 18. These are the words of Jesus. Part of the words he spoke to his disciples the night before he was crucified. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this, his holy word this morning. Amen. Alexander White, an old Scottish preacher, once preached on the prophet Elijah and he said that Elijah towers up like a mountain in Gilead above all other people. He was a Mount Sinai of a man with a heart like a thunderstorm. You know, yet even people as strong as a mountain and whose hearts are as big as a thunderstorm sometimes have meltdowns. Maybe even you and me. Elijah had known the direct provision of God and he had known the great victory of the Lord in his life. Elijah practiced his ministry as a prophet while Ahab was king of Israel. And the Bible says that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than all those before him. Ahab married Jezebel, made her queen, and together they led Israel into the false and the dark religion of Baal. It says that they made the Lord God angrier than all the kings of Israel before Ahab. Well, after Elijah tells Ahab that there is not going to be any rain or any water in the land because the hand of the Lord is against his wickedness, Elijah goes to hide by a ravine at the command of the Lord. And there the Lord provides for him by sending ravens to bring him meat and food every day and to provide him water. And now, Elijah, he's coming off this mountaintop experience where he has taken on 450 of the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel. This huge showdown. And Elijah proved to them that the Lord God Almighty was the true God and that Baal was nothing when he calls to the Lord and the Lord sends down fire from heaven upon the altar. And it's just an impressive sight. It's, it's, it's an amazingly powerful event. And Elijah demonstrates the emptiness of the wicked Baal religion and the reality of the living God. And it's a great victory. And at the end of chapter 18, it says this, that the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. Well, that's a good place to be when the power of the Lord is on you. That's where I want to be. I want the power of the Lord to be on me. Elijah's riding high. Man, he is hot stuff. It was, it was an impressive showing against these prophets of Baal and a, such a momentous conquest. Boy, shouldn't he... Uh, I, I think it's time for a new autobiography, Elijah. And surely he's going to get interviews on all the channels now, all the shows. He'll probably even get his own show. And he will probably get several endorsements. But, hearing what Elijah has done to her prophets, 
Queen Jezebel puts out a contract on his life. Now you might think that after you've defeated 450 prophets of Baal and you've seen the Lord answer your prayer from fire to come down on the altar and the power of the Lord in such a tangible way and then the power of the Lord is on you, you would think, hey, you are not going to fear one little queen. What is she? Uh, Maybe we'd expect Elijah to say, Jez, bring it on. You want some? You're going to get some. But this prophet who had the courage and the faith to stand down 450 prophets of Baal now becomes terrified by the threat of one single queen. Elijah becomes afraid. And that Hebrew term afraid can also mean to see. He saw. Elijah saw in that he saw the whole picture and the reality now facing him. His life was threatened by the federal government and he understood what that meant. And so he runs for his life in total fear. And he goes to Beersheba where his servant who accompanies him, he leaves him there. And then Elijah goes another whole day out into the wilderness, another journey. And he runs for his life in total fear. And he comes to a broom tree and he sits down under it and he prays. And he prays that he might die. And this is his prayer. I have had enough, Lord. Take me. And then he falls asleep. You see, Elijah is melting. He doesn't want to go on. The Lord has miraculously provided for him through ravens. He has just whooped the prophets of Baal. You would think he would be at his strongest. What has happened? What's happened to him? I mean, isn't Elijah a spiritual giant? Didn't it say the power of the Lord was on him? You know, they say that to climb Mount Everest and the 29,000 foot peak, the summit, they say... It's one of the great feats of the world if you can do that. And it's a very dangerous thing. Many people who have climbed Everest have died, have lost their lives. But interestingly, most of the deaths that occur on Everest are not people climbing on the way up. It is those who are climbing on the way down. It's after people have conquered the mountain. It's after they've been victorious in their quest that they are even in more danger. Sometimes it is after the mountaintop experiences, our best experiences, that we're most vulnerable. Elijah is coming down from a mountaintop event and he is beginning to crash. Maybe it's because our guard is down. Maybe it's because we become proud. Could be a lot of reasons, but it's meltdown time for Elijah. He's had enough. And maybe Elijah's prayer has been your prayer too. I've had enough, Lord. I have just had enough. And you fought and you've struggled with something for too long. And you are just at the end of your rope. And you feel overcome with despair or you're just tired. Elijah is exhausted and he goes to sleep. And notice what the Lord does. First, the Lord finds him. First, the Lord finds him. And the Lord comes to his weary servant. God knows where all of his tired ones are. And if you're at that place, he knows where you are. And he knows where to find you. 
Notice the Lord doesn't wake Elijah and then tell him, let's say, to pray more. As a matter of fact, the Lord doesn't come with any super spiritual solutions. The Lord, first thing he does is he tends to Elijah's physical needs. The Lord again provides Elijah with food and with water. The Lord's profound, theological, super spiritual, spirit-filled instruction is this. Man, you need to eat. Here's some food. Would you just do it? Pretty theological, isn't it? And the Lord is so in touch with our real needs. And, and it's a truth, you know. If, if we're not nourished physically and we're not rested physically, we're not going to be well mentally. We're not going to be well emotionally. We are not going to be well spiritually if we're tired and hungry and exhausted. Elijah just needs to sleep and eat. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place of despair because we have just been going too far, too fast, too fully, and we're depleted. And we don't need another Bible study, and we don't need more prayer time, and we don't need another sermon. We need food, and we need to sleep, and we need to rest. So Elijah takes some food, and he's still exhausted. And he falls back to sleep. And again, the angel of the Lord comes and touches him and gives him more to eat because he says this, the journey is too much for you. Now, I'm not sure if the angel is referring to the journey that Elijah has just been on or if he's talking about the journey that he is now going to embark. But the Lord knows what is too much for Elijah. He knows he's overextended. And you know what? He knows what's too much in our lives, too. Elijah eats and drinks again, and he goes 40 days, 40 nights to a place called Horeb, which is a mountain. It's known as the mountain of God because it is there that the Lord met Moses and gave Moses the Ten Commandments at Horeb. Why does Elijah head for this holy and God-filled place? Well, maybe he thinks it'll be better there. Maybe he figures it's safe and God can save him there. Maybe he just figures this is a great place to go into spiritual retirement right now. But he checks into a cave at Horeb and he spends the night. And it says this, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. This was the word of the Lord. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I wonder if Elijah doesn't do a little self-reflection right here. You know, do you ever get to a place any place, and you ask yourself, how did I get here? Or, you know, what, what am I doing here? What was I thinking in the first place? Or you've been running from something, and you turn to whatever you think is going to help you, and you say, what do I think this is going to do for me? And you just kind of scratch your head and wonder. And the Lord says, great, Elijah. Oh, this is just great. Yeah, you've been running for weeks, and you've made it to the mountain of God, what do you think this is going to do for you? And here's Elijah's response. I have been working my heart out for you, God. And everyone else has abandoned the faith. Back up north, the government is putting to death your prophets. I am the only one left. I'm the only one left. Elijah feels totally alone. I'm the only one left. I think when pressure comes down on us in an, in, in an intense way, sometimes we tend to kind of close in on ourselves. 
Uh, and it's very natural to do that. And we think, you know, our circumstances and our problems are worse than anybody else's. And I'm just alone. And nobody else feels what I feel. Nobody else knows what to go. And nobody else has ever gone through what I go through. This doesn't condemn us. I think it's very natural, but it is one of our human weaknesses that we lose the kind of the larger perspective of what's going on in, in life and in the world. And that can lead to, to, to not living totally in the truth, kind of partially in the truth, but not totally in the truth. Because part of what Elijah says is true, but not all of it. And as we will see, you know what? He's not the only one. And God's going to show him that. But he feels that way. It's not the reality because there is a bigger picture. What follows then is one of the classic stories in the life of Elijah. When the Lord tells him to go stand outside the cave because the presence of the Lord is going to pass by. Maybe you've heard this story. Maybe you remember it from Sunday school many years ago. Elijah stands outside the cave and there is a great and powerful hurricane-like wind that blows by And it says, the Lord was not in that wind. Following the wind, then there's an earthquake. And it rocks the ground. Powerful. But it says, the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, it says, there was a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was a gentle whisper. A still, small voice. Literally, the Hebrew term is sheer silence. Something like sheer silence. Maybe not even a voice. Just really quiet. Just sheer silence. And maybe it was absolute stillness that Elijah needed to have before the Lord would communicate with him. You know, sometimes we need silence before we can hear the Lord. As if Elijah is now prepared to listen, the Lord poses the question again of what Elijah is doing there. And again, Elijah talks about how hard it is. He's been working for the Lord and how he's the only one in the whole land left who's faithful to the Lord and how he's the only one who wants to see the Lord's ways honored because remember, he's all alone. Maybe you have felt at some point in your life, maybe you feel that way now, alone in your faith. Maybe you are the only one in your family who is a believer. Maybe that has caused stress in your home. Maybe it's caused stress in your marriage. Because you're the only one in your family that is a believer. Uh, and, and maybe when Thanksgiving or Christmas come around and the whole family gathers around the meal table, it's a painful time for you because you know somebody at some point is going to give you a zinger about your faith in Christ and what that means to you. Or maybe, maybe you are alone at work. Maybe you're the only believer at your workplace. And you just feel like a fish out of water. Your values and your morals and just the way you do everything. Your behavior is just different from everyone, what everyone else is doing. And you want to live a life that honors the Lord, but sometimes you're insulted or sometimes you're, you're, you're kind of depreciated or disrespected because of that. Or maybe you're in the business world. And I have had plenty of Christian business people come and talk to me about the lack of dishonesty and the lack of integrity they sometimes see in that world. And you just feel this huge tension between your faith and what goes on around you. Or maybe you are the only Christian in your classroom and you feel like your worldview is just always looked down upon. Or maybe you feel like you've got no friends, you are alone. 
You know, when we feel alone, we can feel like giving up. Elijah was zealous for the Lord of hosts, but now he was tired and he was lonely. Recently, uh, a friend of mine, he's a colleague, he's a pastor. We were visiting and he came to me and he said, um, he had just, their, their church had just gone through a rough time and he'd just come out of it in, in an intense time of ministry. And after it was over, he, he just collapsed. And for two weeks, he said, he didn't go back to the church. He didn't go to the church at all except on Sundays. And he said, I was faking it then. And he said, I just went to my basement and I just watched movies and I just ate. And I didn't even want to think about my pastoral responsibilities. For two weeks, he just checked out. He was done. He'd had enough. I don't know about your vocation, but I know the statistics in mine. And I've heard these statistics before for the past several years. I was reminded of them again this week. Someone sent me an email and this information to me. That 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month in this nation because of burnout, because of moral failure or contention in their churches. And that 80% of pastors report feeling unqualified or discouraged in their ministries. That 50% say that they're so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but they have no other employment opportunities. 40% say they'd considered leaving their pastorates in the last three months. And maybe your vocation is similar. Whatever you are, an accountant, a doctor, a teacher, maybe your vocation, you kind of resonate with that. Same kind of statistics. You could be a Sunday school teacher. Man, you could be an elder, a deacon, or, or a youth leader. And, and sometimes you can feel discouragement. You know, some of the greatest figures in the Christian faith who have given us inspiration and who have given us insight and who have given us knowledge sometimes were those, those who struggled with depression and discouragement more than anybody. Just like Elijah. The famous missionary, William Carey. And man, he was a tough warrior. This guy was a missionary of missionaries. Where he went and what he did. But once he wrote this in his diary. He said, I am defective in all duties. In prayer, I wander and I'm formal. I soon tire. Devotion languishes. And I do not walk with God. Elijah, this this mountain of a man, is in meltdown mode. And he tells the Lord that he's all alone. And the Lord says this. Now get this. This is what the Lord says to him. Go back the way you came. Just turn around and start going back. Isn't that what you want to hear? I mean, why, are you, why did you leave in the first place? Why are you running from those places in the first place? Because it's dangerous. Jezebel has a contract out on my life. If I get found back there, I'm probably going to get killed. That's the reason, reason we ran in the first place. It's the reason we left that job. It's the reason we left that relationship. It's the reason we left that town. Go back? I mean, Horeb is the mountain of God. It's safe here. You know, sometimes the Lord doesn't want us in the safest place. And as much as we might like to live for the rest of our lives in that mountain cabin or at that wonderful Christian retreat center, that's not where God wants us. Because there's ministry and there's work to be done. And the sovereign Lord has, he has other plans. 
for Elijah. And he spells those plans out. And he tells the prophet to go back. And he tells Elijah this. He says, Elijah, you go back because I have 7,000 other believers that you don't know about. And they have not bowed the knee to Baal. And they don't worship him. And they still worship me. He says, Elijah, my man, let me tell you what the reality is. You're not the only one by a long shot. Elijah's not nearly as alone as he thinks. Because God always knows more. He sees the bigger picture and he has more info. And maybe perhaps the best way to experience God's love in our lives isn't in the easiest times, but it's in the times of discouragement and loneliness. Maybe that's the best time to experience God's love. Because as Elijah melts down, God comes to him with tremendous grace and love. Just add it up. Did you see it in there? How the Lord finds and tends to Elijah in his exhaustion and his fear. He sees Elijah's physical needs. He knows and he cares. The Lord deals very patiently with Elijah, but he doesn't let him wallow in his despair. He's not going to leave him there. And the Lord listens to him, but he's not going to allow Elijah to just carry on some kind of pity party. But he he calls him out of his self-pity to focus on God's larger purposes, God's larger plans. But he does allow Elijah to unburden himself and undo, uh, unload his fears that worry him. You know, I find when I'm having my own pity party that the Lord just doesn't let me stay there. The Lord will lead me out of my tendency and I have this tendency towards self-centeredness and and self-pity. I mean, I have pity parties and the invitation list is long, believe me. God questions Elijah so that Elijah will have to think about his motivations. The Lord doesn't preach. He just kind of asks some questions, floats some questions out there. Why don't you think about this? Why don't you just think about this? And God doesn't buy into Elijah's interpretation of the situation. Our interpretations are often skewed or they're just plain wrong. And the Lord knows the reality. He knows the reality. And he doesn't let us define it. And the Lord supports, he provides support and community for Elijah. He says, Elijah, there's 7,000 back there that belong to you and you belong to them. And that's what the Lord does for us. He provides the fellowship of believers. He provides the church. And even though we feel alone out there sometimes, this is where we come to and say, you know what, there's people that are like me, that have the faith that I do, that hold to those fundamental values of faith and worship in the Lord God that I do. And he provides us with, it's called the community, the church, and the support we get from it. And everything that God did for Elijah, you know, the Lord will do the same thing for us. He doesn't leave us alone. He promises his presence. Jesus said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm not going to leave you. The Lord never abandons us. He knows where we are. He knows our situation. When the Lord gives the great commission to his disciples before he ascends to heaven, when he tells them, you know, make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them to obey, he says this, and Matthew ends his whole gospel with these words, and surely I will be with you always. I think anyone who is serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ will find the journey lonely at some point. 
We may, not, we may find ourselves in wilderness places where there's just no watering hole to be found. Or we may find ourselves running and exhausted. We may find ourselves hiding out in a cave. But those who belong to Christ were never alone. You know, another statistic on those pastors, 86% of those pastors said that if they could choose to do it again, they'd enter the pastoral ministry again, all over again, if they had to. And my guess is that any true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ would, even in the loneliest of times, boy, we'd do it again. Because there is a deep sense of fulfillment in living for the Lord, even when we have a meltdown. I mean, who else is there to go to? Where else is there to run where we get life, where we get love and the fullness of life that comes in Christ? And even though Elijah had a meltdown and went into meltdown, he went on and he was significant when he went on. You can read about it. And you know what? He was probably a better and a stronger prophet because of it. Let's pray. Lord, when we feel that we have had enough and cannot take any more. When we feel very alone and all by ourselves. Would you take the weight from our shoulders? And take our clenched hands and open them to receive what you would give us. And allow us to experience your goodness that you send to us. Whether it be food or water or sleep, renewal. Most of all, your presence. That's what we need. Help us to remember we can count on you. For you're faithful. Amen.